Y'all, I, if we can just, I can just take just a moment as your pastor. I just want you to know, Jesus is doing so many amazing things in our church. It's almost breathtaking when we take time just to kind of stop and pause to see those baptismal waters regularly stirred, starting new ministries to care for people in our community, sending people out to the nations. May we be a church that doesn't take this moment for granted, but we would continually lean upon the grace of Jesus that we would walk in the spirit. We would daily deny ourselves, pick up our cross, follow Jesus, and collectively as a church, we shine the light of Christ to the nations and to our neighbors. Oh, the Lord is so good to us. You know, there's moments in life in which the history of the world changes forever. One of those moments uh, took place uh, on, on December 7th of 1941. It's a day in which Franklin Roosevelt said would go down as a day of in, in infamy. It was on that day that Pearl Harbor was attacked by 360 uh, Japanese Air Force uh, airplanes. In the cover of night, they destroyed 18 U.S. ships and killing more than 3,700 people. A motto spread across the U.S. that said, remember Pearl Harbor. That phrase became a galvanizing statement that mobilized America to stay strong through World War II. On the day of Pearl Harbor, Great Britain Prime Minister Winston Churchill said these words, Now we will win. He knew that that moment would change not only the trajectory of the war, but indeed the trajectory of the world. You see, throughout history, there have been these moments when something happens that is so significant, the world will never be the same. Well, in Acts chapter 16, we see where the gospel of Jesus Christ, it lands on the shores of Europe for the first time. We see where the gospel is going to take root in the heart of someone that no one saw coming, and indeed the world is changed forever. Let me show you. Grab your Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We as a faith family are walking through this great historical narrative of how the gospel that began in Jerusalem is indeed spreading outward into Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said it would in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Apostle Paul in this moment, Acts 16, he's already completed his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14. We have seen Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, where the church galvanized and crystallized the gospel. Now we see where Paul and Silas have now been sent out on their second missionary journey. They made a stop in Lystra where we saw last time they encountered this young man, Timothy, who now jumps onto the team. And these three men are now taking the gospel to the shores of Europe. And that is where we pick up in Acts 16, beginning with verse 6. And the scripture says this. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The heart of the Apostle Paul was to preach the gospel where Christ had not been named yet. Unreached people groups were near and dear to the heart of Paul and always on the forefront of his mind. I want you to notice in the text how the Spirit is leading Paul and his team to take new territory to reach people with the gospel and what this means for missionaries like us. Now, don't miss what I just said there. Missionaries like us. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. And though God may call some of us to go to Africa or Southeast Asia or somewhere to another nation where God has strategically and intentionally planted you and I for such a time as this, we are missionaries. We are a people who represent Christ and we are ambassadors for Christ. We are calling people to come and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We are all, as followers of Jesus, missionaries. And so as we look at the text together this morning, I want us to grab hold of these three things. The first is this. As missionaries, we must follow the Spirit's lead to preach Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they leave Lystra and work their way going from town to town, verse 4. Man, they are preaching the gospel and informing the churches of the decision of the Jerusalem council that we saw back in Acts 15. As they're strengthening the churches with the truth that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That you are rescued and saved, not by Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus obedience to the law. It's just Jesus. Jesus alone is sufficient to rescue and to save anybody who turns from sin and trusts in him by faith. That through his death on the cross, his blood was sufficient to pay for all of your sin. That Jesus, through his death, has made a way for you to be reconciled back into a right relationship with God. That through his shed blood, you are forgiven, adopted, redeemed, a part of the family both now and forever. That he had a victorious resurrection on the third day, defeating sin, death, hell, and everything that keeps you from God forever. You see, Jesus is the one who saves you from sin. Jesus is the one who saves you from death. Jesus is the one who saves you from hell. Jesus is the one who saves you from judgment. And this is the gospel that Paul and Silas and Timothy are taking on this second missionary journey. And they're preaching this gospel. They're telling people the good news of all that Christ has done in and through the gospel. 
The team of three then advances into a northwestern pattern going through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. It's modern-day Turkey, okay? Current modern-day Turkey. But did you see in the text how the Holy Spirit is shepherding them where he wants them to go? Verse 6, they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Verse 7, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You see, the Holy Spirit is shepherding them in the direction he wants them to go. You see, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was following the Spirit's lead. I put this in your notes. Being filled with the Spirit means yielding your life completely to Christ's lordship and the Spirit's leading, which produces joy-filled obedience to God's commands. Let's say it one more time. Being filled with the Spirit, it means yielding your life completely to Christ's lordship and the Spirit's leading, which produces joy-filled obedience to God's commands. You see, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, then you are full of joy and you are grateful to obey God. Obeying God is not a duty. It's a delight. When I was a teenager, during the summer, my parents would leave me a laundry list of chores to do during the day. And one day I asked my mom, Mom, do I have to? And she says, no, you don't have to, you get to. And now as a dad, I get to say the same thing. As a believer, do I have to obey Jesus? No, you don't have to, you get to. It's a joy, it's an honor, it's a delight to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to the Spirit's leader, leadership. As we see the Spirit who is leading and shepherding and guiding these men along the way, the Spirit is leading them in the direction He wants them to go. Hear me on this. The Spirit does not always lead us to do what we want. That's what's happening here in the text. We see it in verse 6. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, take the, to speak the word in Asia. Paul wants to go to Asia. The Spirit says no. Verse 7, they come to Mysia. They're going to Bithynia. But the Spirit says no. Why? Why did the Holy Spirit not allow them to go there? Aren't there unbelievers, unreached peoples in these territories too? Absolutely. But hear me on this. God in his sovereign wisdom knows best. As Paul aimed to take, make way into new specific areas, the Spirit says no. But when the Spirit prevented them, he still had work for them to do. Hear me on this. When doors close and life does not make sense, trust God's sovereign purposes and keep following his lead. When doors close and life doesn't make sense, trust God's sovereign purposes and keep following his lead. There are times in life in which God does something in your life that you just don't understand. Your spouse gets sick. Your child goes rogue. You lose your job. A relationship ends. And you feel like you're walking through the shadow of death. You're in such deep pain. What do you do? You keep trusting the Lord's sovereign purposes. You keep following him. You obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You keep trusting him as you walk in the spirit. 
As Paul is eager to go into different places with the gospel, the Spirit's like, no, 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 not there. No, 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 not there. What's he doing? He's shepherding him into a new direction. You see, just because Paul wasn't getting what he wanted, he was yielded to the Spirit, and God was directing him to go to a path that he did not first anticipate. But as you walk with the Lord and you don't understand what he's doing, you can keep your eyes on him. Spurgeon got it right when he said, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. You see, when God closes a door, trust him. Trust his sovereign purposes. And you keep following him. You keep walking forward in obedience. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And so Paul and his team, they keep moving westward. They keep headed that way, and they get to Troas, a seaport city on the Aegean Sea. And while they're there, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man who is pleading for them to come. So they immediately respond in obedience. They trust it's the Lord who's taking them into this new direction. But did you see who joined the mission team? All right, it's easy to miss it. He's there and right there in verse 10. Do you see the new guy? We. Verse 10. We. Who's we? Luke is now inserting himself into the story. For the first time in the book of Acts, we now see Luke joining the mission field. This is the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, volume 1. The same Luke who wrote the book of Acts, volume 2. Here he is in verse 10, joining the team. So it went from Paul and Silas to last week we saw where Timothy jumps on the team. And now we see a fourth member, in comes Luke. And these men are following the leadership of the Spirit, and God is guiding them as they are eager to take the gospel to those who have never heard. And Westwood, hear me on this. May we be a people who are eager to follow the Spirit's leadership to reach people with the gospel. You see, the same Holy Spirit that is in Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and He is the same Spirit who is in you who have believed the gospel. That the Holy Spirit who has begun a good work in your heart, he is the one who leads and guides and shepherds you. He is the one who gives you wisdom and grace. The Holy Spirit is the one who has sealed you into the day of redemption. He illumines the Holy Scriptures. He convicts you of sin. He encourages, encourages you to walk in the truth. He gives you joy in the midst of trial, gives you peace in the midst of chaos. That the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And here are these men who have yielded their lives completely to the Holy Spirit's leading, and He is shepherding them, guiding them, and taking them into a specific direction to reach new people with the gospel. So let's be this kind of people, church. Let's be a people who are compelled and led by the Holy Spirit to preach Christ to those who have never heard. That we'd be quick to be a praying people and obeying people because we desire to see the Great Commission fulfilled in our day. Oh, that God would do it. And he would use us to accomplish that end. The second thing we see in the text 
It says, missionaries, we must seize unexpected opportunities to point to Jesus. From Troas, the team of four set sail straight for Samothrace. It's an island in the Aegean Sea. These men find themselves gazing across these beautiful blue waters with islands dotted across the landscape. Out in the distance are the Balkan Mountains, skyscrapers uh, scraping the top of the sky. And after sailing for 120 miles, they reach the port of Neapolis in Greece. The good news of Jesus has just landed on European soil for the first time. From Neapolis, they make a 10-mile road trip over the Symbolum mountain range into the Roman city of Philippi. After being there for several days, it's the Sabbath day, and as Paul's custom was, he is about to go to a synagogue where he will reach the Jews first. He will preach the gospel there. But there's a problem. There's no synagogue in Philippi. You see, according to Jewish tradition, in a town where there are not at least 10 Jewish men, there could not be a synagogue. So instead, the Jewish people would, of a city, they would go to a water source where they could meet for prayer. That water source would be a place for a ritual cleansing. It's called a mikvah. A mikvah is like a baptistry where they would ritually cleanse themselves by going under water, similar to over here. But since they did not have a synagogue, they went to the river. They went to a place where they could experience ritual cleansing. They can go underwater and be able to be cleansed, but also they would meet together for prayer. So Paul goes to the river. He knows the Jews would probably be meeting there. And so as he goes there, he gathers, and he sees a bunch of women gathered. And so he sits down. Several months ago, my wife was in Philippi, and she took a picture of verse 13. I want to, I want to show it to you. Uh, this is the river where Silas, Paul, Timothy, and Luke sat down and shared the gospel right here with Lydia and these women. And then they sit down right here as these women are gathered, and this is where the gospel first began to take root in Europe. They sit down, they have a discussion, verse 13. Paul's not standing and preaching, he's leading a small group here. It's a discussion, it's a back and forth, it's a conversation that's happening here. But isn't it interesting that this is not the typical meeting place? This is not your typical synagogue where he would go and preach. You see, sometimes some of the best places to share Jesus is in the most uncommon of places. You see, the gospel is not contained by walls or religious customs. The gospel is to be heralded wherever sinners can hear the gospel and respond. We see in Luke 24, Jesus tells the story of a master who puts on a banquet and he sends out invitations, inviting people to come to his banquets. Unfortunately, those who first heard the invitation, they gave excuses and says, well, I have other things I have to go do. His servants reported back to him and said, they aren't coming. They gave excuses. Well, in his anger, he said, go out into the cities and the alleyways, invite people to come into my banquets. The servants go out and they invite people to come in and they report back to the master. Master, we have done as you said, but there is still more room. And the master says, well, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And they go out and they call people to come. 
that the lame, the blind, the weak, the forgotten, the outcasts, they can be in on this. The point Jesus is driving home in Luke 24 is number one, anybody can get in on this. The banquet of God is open to everybody, Jew and Gentile. The only qualification is you must realize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And guess what? You qualify. You are invited to the banqueting table of God, a future celebration in which anybody who is a nobody, who's an outcast, who is a forgotten, you are invited to come. You can come. The invitation is open. You cannot give an excuse to the master. You can't tell him, oh, I had other priorities other than you. He will not allow you in. But if today you would submit yourself to the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, here is my heart, here is my life. I give myself to you. You have a banqueting table place set for you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have a nameplate at the table. This is what is offered to those who believe the gospel. But secondly, from Luke 24, Westwood, let us be a people that go out to the city streets and the highways. Let's go to the hedges and the alleyways. Let's invite people who are broken and outcast and lost and invite them to come in and say, you don't have to have your life together to come to Christ. You come to Christ. He will change your heart. He will change your life forever. I'm not sure if all of our church is aware of this, but about two hours south of here, there is a, uh, a behavior rehabilitation center housed of teenage boys. Many of them no longer have family who care for them. Either both of their parents are in prison or have died, or their families have said, we just don't want you. And there they stay at that facility. Twice a month, men from our church drive down there on a Saturday and they play basketball with these boys. They fish with them. They pour into them. They tell them, hey, I care about you. But moreover, there's a God in heaven who cares about you. And I want you to know that you're not forgotten. We've heard over the last couple of months as a church that we have seen multiple boys starting to come to faith in Christ that Jesus is beginning to change some of their hearts and lives. Last month, we got to celebrate that 17 of those boys have gotten baptized and have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Can we celebrate Jesus for that? It's awesome. It's only a work of God. May that be the kind of church that we are. And we go to the forgotten and the rejected and the people who nobody wants, and we let them know you are wanted. You are loved by Jesus. And there's a church in Alabaster who cares about you. Let's be that kind of church. We gotta be a church that's not just about here, but getting the gospel to those who don't know Christ yet. That's the heart of God. These four men are eager to make Christ known where he has not been named yet. And they go to a river and they sit down with women and they begin having gospel conversations. Let's expect the unexpected. As you and I as missionaries look for opportunities to share Christ at the ball field, at the tennis court, at the lunchroom table, that we have mission opportunities all the time and we leverage those for the sake of the gospel. The third thing we see in the text, 
as missionaries, we must watch the gospel change lives. This, y'all, <laughs> this is the fun part of ministry. This is where you get a front row seat of seeing God do things only He does. One of the women there is a God-fearing woman named Lydia. Now, God-fearing is a title given to someone who's a Gentile by birth, but they have converted to Judaism. Okay, they don't have Abrahamic pedigree. They don't have Abraham's blood flowing through their veins. They're a Gentile, like most of us in this room. But they have converted and said, I'm going to believe in Yahweh, Jehovah, and I'm going to try and keep Old Testament law. That's a God-fearer, and that's who this is. And her name is Lydia. She's a dealer in purple cloth. Now, the dye that creates the color purple, it was extremely difficult to create, and it was a very expensive color. It's expensive to make. It's expensive to have a, a garment or a dress or a robe that was of the color purple. The process was so expensive that only the wealthy people could afford the color purple. Right, it was considered a luxury for people who were beautiful and rich. Lydia probably sold expensive clothing to wealthy people. If you can maybe imagine with me a in your sanctified imagination. She's a woman who runs a high-end boutique. She sells Louis and Gucci. All right? The, Chanel. I don't know, guys. I'm out, I'm out of my lane here. She sells monograms on Yeti cups. I don't know. She's possibly a cosmopolitan, okay? A businesswoman. Running a lucrative business, an enterprise, selling expensive clothing. And here she is on the Sabbath, gathering with other Jews for prayer at the river. And as Paul is unpacking the gospel and proving that Jesus is the promised Messiah, look at verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond. I love that phrasing. The Lord opened her heart. The Holy Spirit is working on her heart. She believed the gospel. Lydia was born again. Now, before we go any further, question, has the Lord opened your heart to the message of the gospel? Have you personally said yes to Jesus? Has there been a point in time in your life in which you opened up your heart and said yes to Christ? Now, we know that it is the Lord who opens the heart. But have you responded and said yes to him? If you have not, oh, that today you would not leave this campus without trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you would open your heart, but indeed it is the Lord opening your heart. And say yes to him. And say, Lord, I'm giving my heart to you and I'm believing my, on you. I'm banking my soul upon you, Lord. This is what's happening with Lydia. Her life is being changed by the gospel as Christ is being preached. But also don't miss this. The first believer in Europe under Paul's preaching was a woman. This is shocking to the Jews. This is mind-blowing. I can't wait to unpack this a little bit more next week when we have more time. But here is a woman who's coming to faith in Christ. This is Unbelievable. And what a great reminder that women are close to the heart of God. This is a picture of John 4 of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. Jesus cares about women. 
And regardless of what liberal scholars are saying today, Paul cares about women. And it's amazing the work that's happening here. And this woman right here is the first believer, first person to get baptized on the continent of Europe, right there in Greece. And this woman is going to help plant the church in Philippi. That's what's so amazing right here. Lydia responds to the gospel, so does her household. They trust in Christ. They get baptized right there in the Gangites River. Then she opens up her home. Now there's evidence that she's probably wealthy. She opens up her home to the four missionaries to stay there. Her home becomes a hub in which they can now live and go out and preach the gospel and do ministry. Hospitality and generosity right there. You see, hospitality and gener generosity would permeate the culture of the church at Philippi. Paul would later, later write back to this church in which he would say, Philippians 4.15, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. You see, the church at Philippi was really close to the heart of Paul. He would go on to say in Philippians 1, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Lydia's salvation, baptism, hospitality, generosity would set the course for the kind of church that they would become. This is who they were going to be. She is modeling the gospel and showing this is the kind of church we are going to be. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, if you go to the very last verse of the book of Acts chapter 16, we see the church meeting in Lydia's house. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? It's your impact point. It's this. Look for the opportunity and share the gospel with at least one person this week. There very well may be a Lydia that you are going to encounter this week. Coworker, neighbor, friend, a teammate, someone who God is preparing them to hear the gospel. But you see, church, we're missionaries. We are a people who exist to point people to Christ. I got permission to share this email on Thursday nights, I send off my sermon notes to a communications team who then do all kinds of things with it. And one of the people on the communications team responded with this. I'm listening for the sermon, I'm listening to the sermon for tomorrow and thought to myself, how relevant. I had my first oncology appointment this week. And as I'm sitting there with all the other cancer patients, it became clear to me that this is the same group of people who see each other on a regular basis. And some, like me, are new to the process. Others are much farther along in the journey. I'm sure that among them, there are those struggling, lost, and certainly some are dying. Afterwards, as I'm reflecting on all of this, the Holy Spirit gave me a little nudge. Something like, there's a mission field. I don't know why I have cancer, but I know I have cancer for a reason. Pray for me as I discern how to make much of Jesus in my circumstances. 
I preach to make disciples like that. You are a missionary right where God has planted you. I invite you to leverage all that God has entrusted to you to point your world to Jesus. And when you do, history will change forever.